there was a barber who uh, got saved. And, and he was excited. He was, he was much older. And, and, and upon his salvation, he went back to work. And, and he was just excited how he was going to share the gospel. He had uh, undivided attention as he'd give haircuts. And, and, and he was super excited. But he was also super nervous. He didn't know what to do. And so a, as he got the first guy in the chair, and uh, he, he was sitting there, and he's, he's pretty much shaking, nervous about it. And, and the guy goes, I'd like a shave, sir. He's like, okay. And, and so, so he got the uh, razor out and got it nice and sharpened. And, and so as he's getting ready to, uh, to do, the, do the shave, uh, he raises the razor, poised uh, over the man's throat, and he says, Are you prepared to meet your maker? Well, that's probably not the best way to share the gospel. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Uh, today we're going to hear about more of the spreading of the gospel. It was about five or six years ago, I was sitting uh, at my house in my living room, and, and as I was sitting there, the doorbell rang. I walked over to the door. I was on 301 East Front Street and, and, and opened the door. There were two gentlemen there and saying, are you going to go to heaven? And I looked at them and, and I asked them, do you mind if I ask you a question first? And they, yeah, that's fine. And I asked, are you going to heaven? Emphatically, emphatically, both of them said, yes. So then I asked a follow-up question, how do you know? That follow-up question led to dozens of other questions as we sat on the porch at my house. And they kept explaining what they knew and I kept saying, well, I'm only going to work off of the Word of God, off of the 66 books in the New and Old Testament in Scripture. Because they had, they had their opinions from the other testament of Jesus Christ, from other books that they couldn't produce. Those were how they were getting their ideas. When I asked them about the Trinity... Well, they didn't agree with that. When I asked them, how did they get the information that Satan and Jesus were brothers? Well, they gave me a third source. I explained to them everything that I know about my Savior, Jesus Christ, comes from the truth that's located in the Bible. They agreed that the Bible was true, though. That's the thing. They said the Bible was true to them, but I explained that, that what they were telling me could not be measured against the truth. Imagine we came in today, and this leg of this table needed to be replaced. It was broken, somebody was jumping on the tables, and we needed to replace this. And I call up a carpenter, and he said, okay, I need the measurement of the leg. 
and I walk over to it and I say, okay, let's see. It comes up just below my pocket. And he goes, okay, how wide is it? Well, it's, it's about my index finger. Yeah, index finger square. Could he make that leg correctly? No, he, he, didn't have, he didn't have something that was truly measuring it from his shot. Now, he could if he pulled out a tape measure and, and he went down to the leg and, and we're talking on the phone and, and I said, okay, it's 35 and a half, right on the money. And I said, the top portion is just north of three, just heavy, of three inches, square. And I could even get down to the 32nd of an inch in some tape measures. I can get really detailed. And he'd probably even want to see the leg, and he could do true measurements of it in his shop. You see, I'm measuring it against something that's absolutely true versus something that's ambiguous to the lower part of my pocket. And that's what, that's what we do sometimes as people who are trying to find out the truth. We measure things against things that are untrue in our lives. For me to make a new leg, I need to know the exact measurements. I need something, the truth. And that's the same thing about knowing truth in our lives. We have to measure it against something that's true. That's the Bible. That's God's holy word. Remember Acts 17.11? We just studied that a few weeks ago. The Bereans, they were, they were hearing all this information from Paul and Silas. And they're like, wow, this is great information. This is very good. But what did they do? They went and searched the scriptures to validate, to verify what Paul and Silas were teaching was true. When I'm teaching you up front, I sure hope that you're validating that against Scripture. Because in the end, Scripture's truth, not the person necessarily speaking it. We spend a lot of time and energy to try to make sure that what we speak is truth. But truth only comes through Scripture. Today we're going to focus in our great need that we need to bathe in the Word of God. To bathe in the Word of God. That's, that's our whole goal in our lives. And Paul's on his third journey. He's, he's going to make a, a second stop at Ephesus. And, and, and we're going to go through most of the book, uh, the 19th chapter of Acts. We're going to go all the way through 22. So if you uh, have your Bibles, turn there. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 22. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Second time he's stopping at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
And he said, Paul saying, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who has to, was to come. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, <clears throat> he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs of, or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name, by, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Jewish high priests named Skeva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them, all in the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Heavenly Father, bless our time. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to touch on four things today, four things that I gleaned from, from these scriptures I'm not going to go into um, heavy history and, and rabbit trails uh, with this. I'm going to stick heavily to the point of bathing in the Word of God and how I see that happening within uh, these verses. So four observations. The first observation from Acts 19 is what we believe should be filtered through God's Word. What we believe should be filtered through God's word. As Paul comes into Ephesus, he's either welcomed or he finds these disciples. Scripture says about 12. Luke is very precise in a lot of stuff. For some reason, he says about on this one. Maybe he never found out the official number. Maybe he wasn't with. Well, they had been followers of John's, uh, John the Baptist, 
and, and they had repented. They were good people, probably. Quality people. Some commentators argue that they were Christians. I argue that they weren't, based on what, we, what I have learned. They were following somebody who had preached repentance. Preached doing good works. Being quality people. And that's what they were doing. They were still living in the city of Ephesus, which was a city of sin. Kevin mentioned Corinth as a sin city. I think we could tie Ephesus a much closer sin city look-alike place, a place of sensual pleasures, a place where people were seeking uh, for uh, their, themselves, all nights of the day. They slept between the hours of 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. More people were awake during the 1 o'clock a.m. hour than there were during the 1 o'clock p.m. hour. It was because of the heat. We'll learn later that's the time when Paul had the hall available for him to be, do his teaching during that 11 to 4 o'clock time. So this was a, a city that never slept in a sense and a city that was full of sin. And these people, these disciples, were good people, quality people. But they did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. John was telling everyone to listen, to repent. And he was also telling them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was saying, someone's coming after me. Someone's coming after me. But until then, repent and look ahead and people would repent people would be baptized just as as these guys were the holy spirit did not come upon these people until they believed as we saw in in this case as with all christians when you believe in jesus christ the moment you believe in jesus christ the holy spirit comes and indwells within you that's what happens with christians it's not what happened to believers prior to the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Prior to that, the Holy Spirit showed up in different times, in different ways. We remember uh, Saul, King Saul, had the Holy Spirit come upon him. And then we saw the Holy Spirit leave King Saul and then go upon King David. We watched and read how that happened. But in today's time, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, the moment you humble yourself before him, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells within you. Comes and indwells within you. And John knew that the anointed one was still to come. Matthew 3.11, John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Speaking of Jesus. So now Paul comes in contact with them. And they were eager to hear the truth. Again, they, they understood. I have to live differently. Just like those gentlemen that came to my front door. They knew they had to live differently. They knew that they were called to a, a, a bigger purpose in life. But they didn't have the truth. It was right in front of them. In fact, 
They had a copy of it in their car. Of the truth. The Bible. But they were carrying something that did not have a perfect measurement. And we can go into great detail of that. We won't today. <coughs> From a world standpoint, it's absolutely great. If you're a good person. If you do more good than you do bad, that's good for our world. Meaning, it's just, you're probably a good citizen. And we appreciate that. But for eternity's sake, for true goodness, it doesn't matter. You can do all the good in the world. I've, I think I said this in our last message. You can do all the good in the world. Give all the money in the world. You can serve the homeless. You can build a hospital and, and let everyone go for free. And if you personally do not bow your knee to Jesus Christ, humbling yourself before him, understanding that he died for you and for your sinfulness, all of it's for nothing. It helps today, but for eternity, it matters nothing. God can use it. God can use it however he wants to. Romans 3.24 says, We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus Christ. That is in Christ Jesus. It is God's grace that we get when we have trials. 2 Corinthians 12.9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, our Father reveals himself through his word. That's how he reveals himself, day after day. The voice of God created everyone into existence. But also the voice of God created us into a new creation. That's what the voice of God does. The word is so powerful that he is the word. John 1, 1. Right? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He is the word. Jesus is the word of God and the grace of God incarnate. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Jesus Christ. And all these things help me to understand why, as a believer, I should filter my life, my beliefs, my overall worldview, through the living word of God. The alternative is to filter it through something that's not the truth. If I use a religious book, another religious book, to, to guide my life, I'm following something that's not true. It'll be like the carpenter, like trying to build that new leg. It's just ambiguous. He may get it right, somewhat, maybe a little too small, short, or maybe a little too long. It's gonna be, look kinda good, maybe. But we need to be like the Bereans and measure it against something that's truth, which is scripture. 
You know, I was talking to Allie about 18 months ago. Allie was going through a very, very tough time. And she was questioning a lot of things in her life. Seems like a long time ago, but it also seems like yesterday. Had a good exchange with Allie this morning via text, just about her life with Christ. But about 18 months ago, Allie was arguing with me about something, and, and <clears throat> everything that I'd come back with was, well, Allie, the Bible says blah, 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 fill in the blank. And she looks at me, she goes, Dad, can you just stop it? Can you stop using God's word, the Bible, as you say? Just stop using that. Let's just talk normal. I said, I literally stopped and I thought, I don't know how to do anything else. Sherry and I had that conversation. We do not, no, we're not saying we're holier than thou, but when we're going into deep discussions, we'll call them arguments, we don't know how to eliminate the use of scripture. Because your life is supposed to be filtered through God's word. I mean, that's the trouble. We're human, and so we mess up all the time. And then we go back to scripture and filter it through again and say, how, how do we improve on this? Not because we're required to, but because it's a wonderful privilege to serve the Lord holy and, and, and blameless because we have been given God's grace. But everything comes through Scripture. The Bible helps keeps a, keep us focused on who? Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The New Testament is proclaiming Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. Not ourselves. And the disciples were meeting today in the story, and I'm sure they were great people. But they didn't have the truth. And that's what Paul gave them. You know, for the last 13 years, we've been going to Village Bible Church. We took a small hiatus when we moved to Indiana. But I have heard Pastor Tim over and over talk about how we will continue to search the scriptures on how we're conducting ourselves uh, as an organiza organization. How we conduct ourselves in our distinctives, in, in, in who we are and what we're about and it's always going to be examined through the filtering of Scripture. Because if someone could come and say that we're doing something that's against God's Word, we better be open to it. Reggie yesterday chided Sherry and I about some phrase that we were using. And he was right. And he did it in such a wonderful, godly way. I'll tell you about it personally if you ever want to know. It, it was just great, but it was th truly through God's word of how it was filtered in his own little mind. And for Sherry and I, we're a little bit older than Reggie. We're like, you're right. We need to change that statement or whatever it was. We need to filter it through God's word. We cannot be so proud as people that we aren't willing to change if we are shown the truth. Amen? We have to be willing to change. 
because God's word has to be living inside of us, and that has to be our filter. We've got to move on. Second thing, second thing I observe is that we mature as believers when we saturate ourselves in the scriptures. When we saturate ourselves, it's a good word for, uh, for what we should be in for digging into God's word. Verse 8 from our scripture today. And Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them. So, so he's going into the synagogue, he's reasoning, he's having discussions, people are, are mad at him because he's speaking truth, and from them he's speaking lies. And so he can't even teach because they're causing such a ruckus. So he says, well, that's fine. We're going to go next door. And we're going to continue speaking the truth. And anyone who wants to keep learning the truth, come on with me. And went over to Tyrannius's place, who was a teacher himself, who taught from uh, about 8 to 11 then he went and took a nap and then taught from four to, four to eight in the evening. He said, you can have the, the middle period when everyone's sleeping. I don't know how it went, what the cost was, or anything like that. But Paul said, uh, so Paul withdrew from them. He took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. They continued for how long? Two years. Two years. And what does it say? They continued for two years so that all the residents in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Reasoning daily in the hall. Two years. Multiple hours a day. Every single day. Paul knew these people needed to know and to learn about Jesus to understand the scriptures deeply. Remember Paul, when he first came to know the Lord, Paul was already brilliant. He had already learned the Old Testament significantly, probably had the first five books memorized. Yet he did not know God's word. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, the word opens up like it's never opened up before. And Paul spent some time heavily learning himself, relearning the scriptures. So now he's taking these guys through teaching the scriptures daily. Every day for two years. This was a process of maturation that was necessary. It was necessary because the word needed to spread, not just in Ephesus. But it says throughout all of Asia Minor. All of the books in Revelation, all the letters that went out in Revelation to all those churches, probably were founded in these two years. From the teaching in these two years. From the training. 
These disciples, armed with the word of God, would go and make disciples across the land like nobody's business. Paul understood that. We've talked about that as, as a church, that our job is to go and make disciples, to train people, to share the gospel, to share the good news. And that's what Paul is doing here. Maturation, it, it, you mature as you grow older, no doubt. Experiences help you mature. Sometimes tough experiences help you mature even faster. I remember when I was a kid, I walked up to the burners. I mean, I probably was five or six years old, and, and we had an electric stove, and, and it, was, it was red. And for whatever reason in my mind, I, I had no, no idea, and I touched it. It was the front right one that I touched. And my finger felt it quite a bit. And you know, I've never done that again. Because I learned. I matured in my understanding from a simple, tiny thing. And when you saturate yourself with the scriptures, not for a legalistic reason, but so you can understand who God is. You can understand more of scripture, understand the whole concept of what God is trying to teach us. You start to mature. You start to understand it more. You start to, to know how to talk to God more in your quiet time. In your desperate times. You become more receptive to the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? As you read God's word, as you hear God's word, as you study God's word more, you actually can be more receptive to what the Holy Spirit is trying to guide you and teach you and show you. That's why we read the word. That's why we listen to worship music that is praising God using scripture. That's why we, we go online and listen to different pastors that are preaching God's word. Saturate yourself in the holy word. Saturate. Let it come from many different angles so you can know God's word. If you want to filter your life through the Bible, then mature in your walk. Mature in your walk by reading and studying his word. Third point, third observation. We need to understand that God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. As good students of the Bible, as Bereans that you guys are here at Indian Creek, I'm sure you know this observation is literally scripture that I put up there. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what? You know what the author is saying here? Pastor Dave would say, you know what she's saying here? That you could get a sword that's so sharp on both sides that you can poke it into somebody's bone 
and it somehow would be so sharp that it would rip the outer layer of the bone, just trim that off so you only have the marrow inside left. That is one sharp double-edged sword that could do that. Because that's what it's saying. It, it, it could, it, it's so much that it could pierce deep enough to help us understand our, our, our thoughts and our intentions of our hearts, our, our show us the truth of our thoughts and our motives in ourselves. That's what it's, it's saying. It can really fully pierce. And, and, and when we read the scripture that, that we're talking about right here, these people were confused. They're involved in all kinds of demonic things. Some people were possessed by demons. And they were going all out. They were saying anything that touches Paul, he's a holy man. And, and he was able to do some signs and wonders. And, and we're going to, when he's done making his tent, we're going to sneak over there and grab his apron. Because he had that. It was touching his skin. I saw it. And the sweat that's on the apron, that's going to help heal somebody. And it was. God allowed that to happen. And so these people were very superstitious. They were mixed up in all kinds of stuff. But all of a sudden, the word of God was being preached to all the, the scripture says, all the Jews and the Greeks. So all the people were starting to hear the word of God. And what was it doing? It was stabbing them. It was piercing them. It was splitting away the truth from things that were false. They were starting to understand the differences of what they were involved with. They started to understand what were their actual motives versus their service to the Lord. God's word isn't just a good read. There are many professors around the world that teach Bible, that know the Bible better than you will ever know the Bible from an academic side. They're not just good stories. The Bible is truth. Absolute truth. Truth that truly sets each one of us free when we understand what it's saying. Truth that sets us free as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. That's why I've said that we need to saturate ourselves. Saturate ourselves. Because I know the more that we study his word, the more we understand his word, the more we mature in his word, the more we'll be susceptible to the piercing of our hearts. Because we'll, we'll become humble. Verse 20. Look what verse 20 says. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word of the Lord. It doesn't say Paul's words. Isn't it great that how scripture writes? The word of the Lord prevailed mightily. 
You may think you know everything, but in the end, I promise you, the word of the Lord will prevail mightily. The more the word of the Lord is in your life, is in your home, the more it will prevail. Eventually, it will prevail mightily. Finally, last observation. As believers, we need to meditate and delight on the word of the Lord daily. Again, taken from another scripture, Psalm 1, verse 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This meditation, this delight, it comes through reading. It comes through prayer. It comes through the praising of our Father. As you're praying, you should be reciting God's word in your prayers right back to him. Man, he loves that. He loves to hear his word spoken back to him from his followers. He delights in that. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. That's what Paul was continuously doing. We even see it in the closing verses. Paul's fixed on serving God, asking the Spirit, Please, lead me. Lead me to the next spot, to the next spot, to the next spot. I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to hit Jerusalem. I'm going to send these guys over there. Lead me, God. Let the meditations of my heart take over because that is you, Holy Spirit. Paul's fixed on serving God. Two years, maybe it was even two and a half years, probably more like it. Paul leaves Ephesus for more ministry. His eyes are fixed on not what is making him comfortable. He may have got comfortable at Ephesus. He may have gotten in a nice routine. It's a long stay. It's a long time somewhere, especially for Paul. Yet he leaves it, following the Spirit. He wants to do what God desires. Paul wants to follow the ways of God. Joshua 1.8 this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. I'm not teaching this to say that you will be successful financially, that you will be rich if you do the things of God. I'm talking about success in your walk with Jesus Christ. Because we want to be, as believers, we want to be successful in our walk with Jesus Christ. As you meditate on God's word, verses will guide you into confession and they will guide you into praise. They will guide you into a, a state of humbleness before the Almighty God. And, and frankly, that's where we need to get. We need to get humble. Some final thoughts. Final thoughts on God's word as we close. Again, I could go into great detail of all the history uh, that I spent 
going on those rabbit trails and, and finding out the uh, interesting aspects of the demon-possessed man and, and uh, going into the handkerchief and, and, um, and, and all of those great details of Tyrannius and, and the times of the day. But we're focused today on bathing in God's word and how Paul knew that that was an absolute crucial aspect of a believer's walk, that you bathe in God's word. And as I've studied the life of Paul, not just in the book of Acts, but on all of his epistles and what he wrote, he bathed in the word of God. He saturated himself so much the fact that it was, it was bubbling out. And, and that, friends, is what real progress is. You see, some measure progress by making more money. Some measure process, uh, progress by climbing uh, uh, the ladder of success. Some measure it by, by winning uh, a, a game. Some measure success by having uh, grandchildren. Some measure success uh, by getting more people to come to your event or even to your church. I think that as I study scripture more and more, I can see that success, that real progress is shown in the spreading of the word. That's progress. That's success. Jesus quoted 24 different Old Testament books when he was speaking in the words that were recorded to us. He could have quoted from every Old Testament book. I don't know. Eleven different times Jesus quoted the book of Psalms. When Satan tempts Jesus, what does Jesus do? He gives him scripture. He gives him scripture. When Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees several different times, Jesus quotes the Old Testament over and over and over. Same with Stephen. Stephen was speaking of scripture when he was killed. We see Paul. It's all about spreading the word. It's all about spreading the word. Verse 10 in Acts 19. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, what, what happened? Heard the word. Heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread ahead and be honored as happened among you. Some versions of that say, will spread rapidly. Progress is made when the word of God is moved forward. That's why we teach it to our children. That's why we sit here today at Indian Creek. We want to spread the word rapidly so that it can be spread even farther. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, because I don't know. I, I've had acquaintances that have gone to church for decades and decades and decades, and they did not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If you're not a 
follower of Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to share what God's word says. I'd love to help you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. Understand why Jesus Christ had to come as a tiny little baby. He gave us the Bible so that we could know all about him. Know how to handle any situation. I'd love to meet with you. For those of us that are following Jesus Christ already, those of us who are believers, keep allowing the Bible to be the perfect truth, the perfect measurement about what you filter your life through. Continue to saturate yourself with the scriptures every day. Allow it to mature you, make you into a person that is a lover of people, but a person who is absolutely focused on being a lover and a humble person to Jesus Christ. Meditate on it. Delight in it. As you read it, as you hear it, meditate on it. Let, let it change your life. Doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, the Bible is sharp. It's a double-edged sword. It will pierce you and it will change you. Allow it to change you. Dig into God's word. May together we spread the good news through the sharing of his word.